Okay, looks, it looks good. What happened? Oh, receive Lila. Okay, just one second. I have to just. I'm still not used to wearing glasses. You have to clean them all the time. Okay, there's a Gemara. It's not on the sheet. There's a Gemara in Tanis. And the Gemara says this, Ta'anit, I'll say Ta'anit, because I want to align myself politically. <laughs> the Gemara in Ta'anit says, the Gemara in Ta'anit says this, that Av is a time, the month of Av is a time of unhappiness. And then the Brighter says, Mishenichnaz Adar, Right? I imagine everybody has heard that someplace or other, but it's in the Gemara. It's the Gemara and Ta'anit. Rashi says, Rashi says, why? Why Mishinichnas Adam What's the big deal? Adar. So Rashi says, Yenei Nisim Hayu Yisrael. These days, the days I guess of Adar, are miraculous days for Yisrael. And then, Rashi says, Purim Upesach. Purim Upesach. Now let's assume that the Girsa is correct. Purim Pesach, even Rashi must have known that Pesach didn't come out in Adar. But Pesach came out in Nisan. So why would Rashi say, why would Rashi say, that that means Purim and Pesach. Purim is true, Purim is in Adar, and Pesach is in Nisan. But what possible connection could there be between Purim and Pesach? Besides which, besides which we know that Purim is a day of um, overwhelming joy. Right, which was translated by the Jewish tradition into inebriation. Now, whatever you say about it, it is, tr- it is written in the Gemara and repeated in the Shulchan Aruch. Hayavada Levisume, a person is obliged to get drunk. Adelo Yoda, Bein Arur Haman, until you cannot distinguish between Aruch Haman and Baruch Mordechai. And I can tell you from personal experience that you have to be pretty drunk. It's not just like being shaky or walking a crooked line when you think you're walking straight, but to get to the point where you don't know the difference between Aruch Haman and Baruch Mordechai, that is really uh, an achievement. That is an achievement. So, I mean, however it came down, you know, that everybody knows the problems about getting drunk. You can't have a mincha. You can't say, Brikat Amazon straight. You can't do all the mitzvot together. It doesn't fit in to the Jewish conception of itself. Like the people's conception of themselves is that we don't get drunk. Quite the contrary. 
אנחנו מאוד שכלתניים, you know, we're very intelligent and intellectual about things. Right? So that's how we should celebrate a yontif, by talking about it, by talking Torah, right? There is a, a drasha that I saw, you know, the Megillah says, Lehudim aita orabesimcha besason v'ikar, right? Some people think that that was invented in Habdallah, but no, it's in the Megillah, in Megillah Tester. Lehudim aita, already I'm in the spirit, of course, you see? So people say, listen, before you get drunk and eat the meal on, on, on Purim and, you know, like go off, go off, say a little Torah, you know, just to make sure that, they, that we all know that you're Jewish. So you say a little Torah before, before the Suda, before the Suda. Now, what I want to talk about, having introduced these two matters, one is the Rashi in Ta'amit that says, we're happy in Adar because of Purim and Pesach. And secondly, the idea that the happiness of Purim is extraordinary in the Jewish sense. After all, the Torah says three times that we should be happy on Sukkot. Then Sukkot becomes the model of happiness, a Jewish happiness. You want to be happy? Be Sukkot. Be uh, you know, uh, uh, run around from sukkah to sukkah and, and, and take a little drink of wine here and a little drink of wine there. But to get drunk? You imagine somebody saying, let's all go get drunk on Sukkot because getting drunk is the way it should go. I, I never heard such a thing. I never heard such a thing. So this idea that simcha and drunkenness has something to do with each other is unique after all to Purim. And what does it have to do with Purim? What does it have to do with Purim? So you have to remind you now. There are three Su'udot in Purim mentioned in the Megillah. Three Su'udot. So we'll look at them in the, um, in the text that you have. Ra'ibi me'ach ha'shri'osh, ra'ch molech me'hodu v'yad kush, sheva v'esrimu Everything in Megillah that's there is very interesting. But we have to focus on on what we're interested in, right? We can't explain every pasuk. Right? So you've seen all of these pasukim. By Yamima, Hem Keshevet HaMelech HaChashverosh, Al Kisei Malchuto, Hashem Bishushan HaBirah, Bishnat Shalosh LeMalcho, Asa Mishteh, Rechol Sarav HaAvadav, Chel Parasu Madai HaPartamim, Vesarei HaMdinot LeFanav. So, HaChashverosh made this party. And it was apparently noteworthy. Imagine that. A party that went on for 180 days. I mean, it needed a lot of stamina to participate. You know, I mean, even, uh, you know, that's what they do to the President of the United States. Right on the day of his inauguration, he has to go to a lot of parties to see if he's strong enough to bear the burden of the presidency. So you get to all of you, go to all the parties and you eat something, drink something, dance a little, so that proves that you are, you know, made for the presidency. But um, 180 days. Another party. In Shushan, a seven-day party, right? Shivat Yamim Chatzar Ginat Bitan HaMelech. Chol Kapasut Chelet, Achuz Mechabibus V'Agamam, and Gulei Kesev, Amudei Sheish, Bitot Zahav HaChesev, Ayritzpat Vat V'Sheish V'Davitz HaChelet, very fancy. 
very classy. Whatever classy meant and whatever fancy meant, that was the party that Achashverosh made in Shushan. This was, these were the Kalim of the Beit HaMikdash that he took out because he wanted to show them his finest. Right? You know, like people do that today also. You know, like somebody taught, taught me what you go to somebody's house and they put out, out um, that fancy looking crockery on tables, but each one has a little bit of water in it. Because they don't want you to turn it over and find out that it was made in Walmart or something, you know. You know, so that's how I, so I always remember that. I've got to go to somebody's house, I always check to see if there's water in those little dishes or not. Otherwise, you're supposed to turn it over and say, oh, wow, you know, like, uh, the, the, the stuff that you accumulate in your head in a lifetime is absolutely remarkable, you know. It has, it, it makes no sense at all, like what you retain and what you, what you forget. I said, that's like the main educational problem with children. I always say, you ask a child, you ask a child, who was the lead, a child, he's 10 years old, you say, who's the lead drummer in the Pink Floyd who died of an overdose? And he'll tell you. He'll tell you right away. Well, he won't even think, and you say to the same kid, what Mishnayot did you learn yesterday? Blank. Like they don't know. They don't know. So learning is only about motivation. That's what it, that's what it is. If you want to learn it, you're going to learn it because the kids obviously have the talent. How do you get that? How do you get them motivated? Do you have an answer? You remember what? These kids never heard it, never saw the Pink Floyd in their lives. <laughs> what emotional, whatever it is. They just know it. They're things you know. It thinks you know because it's, it's worthy. You know, like you want to know it? So you know it. So here is the first party. And the last pasuk says, And you know that Chazal, Chazal were unhappy about Hashtiyakadat. They were unhappy. And they said that here the Jews went to this party and they were with them. They were, they were in this hotbed of idolatry. And they were part of Ashtiyakadat Einones. So the first party is an accusation. It contains an accusation against the Jews who lived in Shushana Birah. So what you would think? You would think that the accusation against the Jews because they were drinking too much at the party that Hasveros made would be celebrated by Am Yisrael forever after by getting drunk? I mean, does that make any sense? Purim should have been the holiday of abstinence should have like a, like a thing, you take your bottles of scotch and you put them on the wall, you say, I'm not going to come near. That's what Purim should be. Because that was the sin of B'nai Yisrael and Shushan. They drank. They went to their party. Okay. Anyway, that's how the story starts. And this, this story sort of ends. Uh, the second party. All right, this this second the second uh, uh, source is just uh, you know Chazal say. 
that the, the refuah was prepared before the Makkah in the story of Esther. That first Esther Hamalka was chosen and then she saved the then you know something bad happened to Am Yisrael and she saved the, the Jewish people so that this pasuk in Baghdad so it's possible to say, as many of the commentaries say, that Achashverosh must have been drunk. If he hadn't been drunk, if he hadn't been drunk, he would never have done that. This whole story of Vashti is very odd. But Chazal had to fill in a lot of blank spaces, like what was, why didn't she come? And what was it that made Achashverosh so angry? And so you have to construct some sort of an alternate story where Vashti represents somehow opposition to Achashverosh, which he didn't accept his directive. He killed her, but if he had been sober, he would never agree to such a radical, a radical step. So now, along comes the Nara, come the Nara Amalek, and they say to Achashverosh, look, we're going to solve this problem by finding a queen, and we're going to look for a queen who has no yichas, who's not connected to anybody, who has no power base in the nation. And then Esther, who is the refuah for the Makkah, Esther became the obvious choice. I mean, there's no other way to explain. We're not going to go into this. There's no other way to explain the story, to my mind, the story of Esther, the choosing of Esther, except that Esther had qualities that she possessed alone. And those qualities made her the obvious choice for, for being the queen. It wasn't that she was Jewish. And it wasn't that she was powerful. And it wasn't even, I would imagine, that she was beautiful, which was an irrelevancy. Because beautiful women are, were available to the king. Right? It wasn't that. She wasn't like a display. But she filled a, a job. She had a job. She was the queen but she had no yichus and no strength and did not represent an opposing party to the king as Vashti apparently did. So she, Esther, was the refuah to the Makkah that Haman tried to organize against B'nai Yisrael. Let's go back to the, let's go back to the Mishteh. V'tan Esther Torah, the next source. Remember, she goes to see Achashverosh, she gets dressed up, she, she, you know, with great fear and trembling, she says, I'm here. And Achashverosh says, okay, what do you want? So Esther says, look, I'm willing to answer your question, but I want to do it over food, which is an indication that she realized that she was Jewish. Right? This is a, it's called a Jewish meeting, you know, where, where you make decisions while eating. He didn't eat a thing. He didn't drink a thing. In other words, uh, uh, the, the, the text, 
of the Megillah tells us that Haman was always oppressed by Mordechai, even when he was happy, even when he felt that he had achieved uh, a great notoriety, he was invited to this party, but Mordechai continued to bother him for some reason. Okay. Then he went to see whoever he went to see, and he told them whatever he told them. That's the, that's the, second, uh, the second party. <coughs> the third party, Perik Zion, Right, what's It was a mishteh. It's not always called mishteh hayayin. Even though mishteh comes from the word mishtot. But in our usage of the word, it means, you know, a party. It means getting together. Mishteh hayayin means that Yayin played a role in this party that she, Esther, made for Achashverosh and Haman. Yes, again, the first party, and the first party, if you look at the previous source, you see? Perek hei pasuk chet. Perek hei pasuk chet ela mishteh. But not. The real mishteh was mishteh ayayin. The first mishteh was without ayayin. The mishteh of Achashverosh they didn't even remember what the menu was. All they remembered was that they were drinking. So there's party number one. Party number two is Mishteh. Party number three, where the fate of Haman is sealed, is called Mishteh Hayai. It's called Mishteh Hayai. he was in on it, he and Haman. Haman presented him with the idea. And he told him he's going to make a lot of money, so Hashverosh agreed. So I'm going to Hashverosh take up and say, Me, who's Hebezer, who? One possibility is Mishnayayin. That Hashverosh really didn't know what was going on. Mishnayayin. So we have Mishnayayin number one. Ashtiyaka Dateyin Ones, which is an accusation against Bnei Yisrael who, who, who uh, participated in the party that Rachashverosh made. And party number two for some reason exists, but it's, it's not the party. The party is party number three. And party number three is, is the party of Mr. Hagayim. And how could it be that Rachashverosh said, Me who said, Hey, said, Who? Where was he for the first act of the second act of this play? He was not there. He was there. He mustn't know what you had when she became queen. Okay, Chazal said he didn't know exactly where she came from, what her was. It's hard to believe that he had no knowledge of that at all. 
And when each she says, he didn't know what they were talking about. How could that be? How could it be that he didn't know what they were talking about? Must have known. Anyway, in order to explain these things, I would like to, uh, I would like to uh, show you, learn with you, two ptahim from uh, Hasidic writers. Right? The first is Rav Nosson of Memorov, the Talmud of Rav Nachman of Bratzlev. If you look, you look at the second line. He continues, he talks about, he's talking about Tikkun Chatzot. Tikkun Chatzot, if you own a fat sitter, like one of those old-time, traditional fat sidurim, not the new sleek kind of sidurim that are like the short form of the old sitter. Not that kind of sitter, but an old-style sitter. You'll see at the beginning, Tikkun Chatzot. Tikkun Chatzot, they were Jews who customarily got up in the middle of the night. Uh, many Jews. So this is all uh, something to do with the Arizal and the Zohar. They were Daven. They were Daven. They say a few chapters of Tehillim. And uh, for some reason, uh, which we're not going to go into exactly, but which Rav Nosson is going to explain partially, the middle of the night was considered to be a good time for Davening. People got up and they davened, and then they drank a cup of cold tea and went back to sleep. That's, that's how the Jews did it, at least some of the Jews, right? The Jews who were able, who were able to live that kind of a life, did it. They're not so foreign. I mean, it's not just like wackos who do such and like this, but it's like something Jews did. The ones who were able to, the ones who felt that they could. So Lot has Rav Nossin, and he's talking about this. And in the second line, he says, starting the second line, he said something about Laila in a previous paragraph, but he says, you should try to get up in the middle of the night. Ki halayla, listen to this. Shehu ha-choshech, ha-da'at. He says, what's the nature of night? You know, you could define it in different ways, but the way that Rav Nosson chooses to define nighttime is Ha'eder Hadat. It's the time that you don't really know what is going on. Tulah Mishne Chalakim Shehem Chatzot Halayla Rishon Chatzot Halayla Hashemi. Like there is that the earlier Chatzot, the later Chatzot, Kemufa. Shehem kineged shtei hapushyot fanav. Ki chatzot halayla harishon as a choshech v'hadin gadol biyotem. Kaz nimshach ha-choshech v'bchinat ha-pushyot she'en alem tshuva. And this was, this was a main pillar of the Braslev theology. Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman felt that there were questions that people might have. Why did God create the world? What does it mean that the world was created? What are we, uh, how are we supposed to uh, relate to the, to the fact that the world was created? There were like these kind of questions that are very hard to answer. And Rav Nachman felt very strongly, and as does his, his Talmud, Rav Nachman felt very strongly that these questions are unanswerable. 
and that anyone who directs us to spend time trying to answer these questions is misdirecting his students. The greatest sinner in this regard, according to Nachman Bratzlov, was the Rambam, Maimonides, who wrote a book called More Nevuchim, The Guide to the Perplexed, in which he gives you, uh, 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 he enables you to imagine, he enables you to think, Rav Nachman says, that questions, that these philosophical questions have an answer. But he felt, he, Rav Nachman, felt that the answer to the questions is faith, emunah. In, in, in other words, a person who has faith, this is Rav Nachman's, Rav Nachman, right? I'll tell you Rav Nachman's position, a person who has faith is not put off or put down by a question. So there's a question. Everybody knows that there are questions that you can't answer yourself. Everybody knows that there are smarter people who can either ask smarter questions or give smarter answers. And therefore, Rav Nachman said, that it's educationally improper to involve the students, the children, the, the friends in these kinds of questions. What we should be working on is our emunah, assuming that everybody comes into the circle is quote-unquote a ma'amin on some level, you should try to become a ma'amin on a high level. I mean, what does it make what the questions are? And this notion was inherited by Rav Nossam. Look, it's, it's, it may be relevant today as well. It may be something to consider. Those of you who have to, you know, teach children or teach students, I mean, it's, it's a thought. It's a thought. Where is the place of philosophical inquiry? Rav Nachman said, no place at all. It's all a mistake. It just creates confusion, distress, unhappiness. And what we're interested in is emunah. And you don't get emunah by answering a question. Because after you answer the question, there's another question. And therefore, the whole thing is irrelevant. The whole thing is irrelevant. Of course, today, it's a little difficult for certain people who find themselves in a society where questions are asked to, to just say, well, you know, I don't have that question. That's like about my question. I mean, somehow you, it's hard to do that. But the idea that Rav Nachman developed on this, on this level is a very powerful one. So he says, in the third line, now, the two kushyot are about the, the creation of the world, of course, and why there is doubt. Why the world is created with doubt. He says the first part of the night, the darkness, comes from the fact that I have questions that I can't answer. That's the darkness. And I was, even though we know that the light and the darkness are somehow physics, nevertheless, we live in a metaphor. Right? Our lives are a metaphor. Therefore, we won't always connect everything to us. Connect the sun to us, the moon to us, the stars to us, the day and the night to us. He says, look at the night. The night is divided into three parts. The first part of the night is about shutting out the light. What shuts out the light in our lives? The questions. The questions shut out the light. And then he says, 
אז נמשך ה-fourth line, in the middle, אז נמשך החושב מבחינת הקושיות שאין עליהן תשובה, שאלו הקושיות הן מבחינת תוקף החושך. That's the power of the darkness. כי אי אפשר ליישבן. אי אפשר. That's what the Rav Nachman said, the Rav Nachman said. Questions don't, there are questions that don't have an answer. Is that why after the daytime Shabbat, the first word is Yitzhi, and after... The first one? The first word after the daytime Shabbat means Yitzhi, and after the nighttime Shabbat is Amunah. Amet, Amet, Yitzhi, and Amet, Amunah? Could be. Well, I, I, good, I understand what you're saying. That's very good, except I think that what Rabbi Nelson is saying is that the darkness of the first part of the night is a necessary result of the light, because the light is not light. The light is where you have all the questions. You see all the questions, and that produces darkness. You get, you get enticed by the questions, and that enticement produces the darkness of the night. And, so, and then he says, you see the fifth line towards the end? He says, that's why we have to go to sleep. Why do we have to go to sleep? Because we can't take the questions. The questions are driving us crazy. And since the questions are driving us crazy, we have to go to sleep. And he says, What is Shaina? your mind stops working. Because nobody solves math problems while they're asleep. Even though there are these stories of people waking up with a solution to some problem. But that's not the way it works. You sleep, you sleep. You sleep, but you put electrodes in your head and you see there's not that much activity. Right? So that life, day and night, is a metaphor. For, for how we should live. And so Rav Nachman says, so Rav Nachman explains, everybody has questions. Everybody has questions. Everybody has problems. Everybody has something that's unanswered, whether it's about, about destruction or about, about, about terrible things that happen in history. Everybody has these questions. So you have to go to sleep. You have to go to sleep. What saves you from your own questions is the fact that you can go to sleep. Because when you go to sleep, there's no doubt. Your mind stops working. And when your mind stops working, you also don't have a question. I mean, I mean the question, what kills us with the questions is that we can't answer them. It's not that they exist, but that we want to answer them. So he says, you go to sleep. He says, That's what Shaina is. Shaina is his talkuta emuna. Because at night, we learn that lesson, when we're asleep, that all there is, is emuna. All there is, is emuna. And, and emuna is the answer to the questions. In other words, you know something that is beyond the questions. If you are a ma'amin, then you know there's an answer to the question. You may not know the answer to the question, but what difference does it make? What difference does it make? So you won't win the debate. Right, but 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 it's a little enough to me. I mean, if I don't know why God did what God did, or why God allowed something to happen which happened, but I know that God uh, gave us the Torah and wants us to keep the mitzvah, I know that. So, so I mean, the question becomes trivialized. You understand? 
It means I don't know something about God. Okay? I don't know something about God. But that doesn't impair my ability to be a ma'amid. That's Rab Nachman's position. But when you get to the middle of the night, things get better. And they have to get up. The middle of the night, by the time the middle of the night comes, by the time the middle of the night comes, we've already divested ourselves somehow of all of these kushyot and problems that will come back again tomorrow. But right now they're gone. And therefore suddenly, suddenly a person turns into a great ma'amin at that time. And since he's a great ma'amin at that time, it's important for him, it's important for him to start davening. Even though there's no particular davening that exists for that time of the night, you already daven Shakrit and Mincha and Arvit, there's no davening for Chatzot, but according to Rabbi Nossin, it makes sense that people should get up in the middle of the night and start davening because they have the greatest clarity at that time about their own faith and what, and what it is and about their relationship to the Rabbi Because after all, davening is two, there's those two things. Davening is an expression of what I want the relationship to be. And it's also an expression of what the relationship is. Right? And, and, and those two things, those two things, according to Rav Nossin, are pivotal in determining, they're pivotal in determining uh, uh, what you should be doing with yourself. Okay, that's what Rav Nossin said. I think we've explained it, I think we understand so Al-Nasan lived in the middle of the 18th century, and now we want to look at uh, Rav Tzodik, what Rav Tzodik Akain says in a book that's called Yusisei Lailo, much of which is about Amalek and Purim, and those topics are very big topics in the book, in Otolamid Bet Aleph. Right, so in other words, Rav Nasan told us of something. I mean, the thing that, that relates to us in what Rav Nelson said, is that lack of dot, lack of dot can sometimes be a positive religious um, uh, state. Lack of dot, according to Rav Nelson, enables me to develop my faith. There are no impediments. Nothing is stopping me. It's standing in my way. But I'm a, I, I can... I can sprout wings and fly in with Amuna. It's that 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 stops me from doing that. I will add a footnote that Rav Nelson doesn't say that you know the the advantage. Well, I'm, I'm not sure everybody everybody would agree, but I say one of the advantages to studying Gemara over studying. Uh, philosophy is that even if you don't come to a conclusion when you learn Gemara there are no deep questions it doesn't produce it just produces complicated questions it doesn't produce life uh, questions 
And so Gemara was a great success. I mean, the learning of I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it's the only reason, right? The other reasons as well. We have to learn Gemara to know what to do. But I'm saying learning Gemara is usually not about, doesn't create a crisis in your life. You know, if you learn that, uh, that some, uh, some ox gored uh, another ox, so okay, you know, you can get through that. If you don't understand why this guy has to pay twice as much, I mean, you just go to lunch, right? It's not going to stop you from eating lunch. Even if there's something you don't understand, but if suddenly somebody says to you, no, maybe God never did it. You know, no, that's, you're like, my whole world is shaken up. That's like an advantage. I think, I think it's an advantage. I think it's an advantage why Gemara was chosen. As you know, by anyway, let's go back. Okay, Rav Tzadik Hakohen. Rav Tzadik in a book called Yisusay Laila has something to say that might interest us. So Rav Tzadik says this: Sefer Yisusay Laila Oslam at that. It's right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. For those of you who might be interested in looking it up, it's right at the beginning. Inyan Mishdach Hashverosh Shinizgar BeMigilah. Udrashot Chazal, Bovadai, Enodavarek. So obviously there's a question that he's trying to deal with. And that question was how come the Megillah mentions the Mishteh of Achashverosh? I mean, Achashverosh was with five or six Psukim. I mean, okay, Achashverosh made a, a party. Who cares? I mean, what, what do we have to do with Achashverosh's party? This is like a question that that uh, that Tzadik was dealing with. He says, since it's in it's in the Eino Davarek, who atzmo inyan mishteh purim achshav achar harifuah, and he says you have to understand that this party that Achashverosh had. Remember, we saw there were three parties. Achashverosh made a party, then Esther made a party, and then Esther made another party. So he says, he says at Tzodok, that when we make a party, right, we make a party on, on, uh, um, on Purim, Nasotel Tam made Mishteh Simcha, the Megillah says. We have to make Mishteh Simcha. He says, Inyan Mishteh Purim Achshab Achar It was today, after the Jewish people were saved on Purim. Right, so we decided to commemorate that salvation by making a mishteh. Which mishteh were we commemorating according to Ratzorek? He says we were commemorating mishteh Achashverosh. It's like the, the Megillah says Achashverosh made a party, now you make a party. And the mishteh is the refuah the kadav lamaka because because big why why well he explains why the vaday b'dayam yushevet loyoregwa vashtir ayed the mishteh the perushos suda shel shikrut. So, so that's sort of the same shot in our life. You say, you say to somebody, how can we make a party on, 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 
on uh, Purim. There's a party, you do a Purim. Okay, the Jews were saved, so they must have been happy, so maybe they made a party. I mean, what, what, what is the party? What's the mistake? You know about Hanukkah? You know Hanukkah? <laughs> Comes up every year. You light little candles. Do you make a party on Hanukkah? Do you make a party on Hanukkah? Don't tell me about Hanukkah parties where you invite your grandchildren. Do you make a party to him of a Sa'uda on Hanukkah? No? Now the salvation on Hanukkah was less than the salvation of on Purim? Purim and Urdu, who was saved? 400 guys here and 200 guys there. So what are you talking about? On Hanukkah we had the Greeks and we had the Hashemodahim. I mean, it's movies. Purim is also a movie, but they're a different kind of movie. So how come we don't we make we make a big deal out of making a party on Purim? That's what Sodak asks. So his answer is very simple. Because the party saved the Jewish people. Just like we say, Mordechai saved the Jewish people. And Esther had saved the Jewish people. So everybody should go hear the Megillah, right? Men and women. Mordechai saved the Jewish people. Esther saved the Jewish people. Because of Sodok, you know, says, and the party, that saved the Jewish people. Because what happened at the party? What happened to the party? Hashverosh? Got drunk? Because Hashverosh got drunk, so he cracked. And he went and he killed Vashti. Because he killed Vashti, so Esther was appointed queen. Because Esther was appointed queen, the Jews were ultimately saved. So, so of course, Rav Tzodek said, of course we're going to make a party. The party is like the Asherah. On Sukkot. Like, it's the main thing. The main thing, what about Shikrut? Oh, that's a little bit different. What about Shikrut? How can we all get drunk? So they say, well, because the drunkenness saved Am Yisrael, according to Rav Sodek. Because the Hashverish got drunk, so he acted like a Meshuggah. So, okay, I mean, it's a stretch. We say, therefore, and thanks to God for Hashverish's uh, stupidity, we're all going to get a little drunk. We'll get to, we'll get a little bit drunk. So that's what Sonic, that's what Sonic says. And he says to Vadai, Kedad Mishi Yushevit, Loyo Regal Vashti, if he was sober, he wouldn't have killed her. Raka Yedei Mishteh. The Perisho Udash El Shikrut. He says that the word Mishteh, after all, comes to the word Lishtot. And what are they drinking? They're drinking wine. And whatever else they were, they were drinking. The Lachain Nikrakola Sudal Sheva Shtiyah. Right, That's what that's what Rav Sonic said. But Salah, God came to all that you shed it too. We go out yede yai, kloshe min yai v'sheinal v'sheim and sadikim she'ain lo dat lasot rasha eno seira. Our Gabi, in other words, Homa was also done in by yai, right? Mishte hayai. Number two of, um, of Esther Hamoka. So I remind you again of the line in the Gemara, which is repeated in the Shulchan Aruch, right? Chayev Adam Lebesume. Chayev Adam Lebesume. Which means you have to get Shika. Adelo Yoda. Bein Aruch Haman. Le Baruch Mordechai. Haman, 
let's say, synonym for Haman, Ra. Baruch Mordechai, a synonym for Mordechai, Tov. Right? Mordechai acted on behalf of the Jewish people. And Kiyum uh, Mitzvot of the Torah. That Esther, let's put Mordechai and Esther together. They're in the same boat. Aruch Haman, Ra. Baruch Mordechai, Tov. Chayav Adam Lebesumi, Adelo Yoda, Adelo Yoda, Bein Tov Lera. Bein Tov Lera. Meaning, as Rab Nossin says, on Purim, you have to get to the state. You have to get to the state where there are no questions. Tovera is one of the central questions that we have all the time. Madua derech shaim salecha. Shalu kol bogdei baget. Who said that? You're right. Yemiyawa navi. Madua derech. Any kid in Israel knows the answer to that question. Madua derech shaim how you're not a man of little faith, but an extraordinary person. Madua, how come Derech Rishaim How come the the bad guys always seem to do well? Shalu is Shalom. Shalom Kolbog they beg it. All the ones who who turn away, who turn away from God and the Torah, they seem to be happily at peace with themselves. How come Sadik Viralo? Rasha v'tovlo. So what does it mean? Chayav adam lebisumei adilo yoda bein baruch or homon the baruch mordechai until the questions that derive from the good and evil they madua dechusha imtzalecha they disappear. We get into a state that Rav Nosson calls choser deya, lack of understanding. And we understand, we, we see what are the lessons that derives, what are the lessons that derives from Purim is that when Ahasuerus lost his mind, he, he caused destruction in the land. He upset that which he was trying to build. And he was saved by appointing Esther queen. That's the drunkenness of Hashverosh. But the drunkenness of the Jew, according to Rav Nossin, and that's why it's important to know about the parties, that's what Rav Sodek says, the drunkenness, according to Rav Nossin, is the opportunity for greater faith. And everybody knows that Purim is the time of Kabbalah Torah number two. Kabbalah Torah, where the obvious presence of the Shekhinah is not there. But things happen in the world that, and, and it's only through Emunah that you can interpret them as being the hand of God. If you're not a faith community, so you say, okay, Hashverosh got drunk, and Haman's a bad guy, and they were fighting, and these guys fighting, it worked out. We snuck out of that problem, but Emunah does not allow you to say such a thing. And it's interesting it's interesting that the in-between, that the drunkenness of Achashverosh, in-between the drunkenness of Achashverosh and the drunkenness of Am Yisrael, the drunkenness of Achashverosh being a lack of faith, 
And the judges of Israel being losing your God in order to sort of like soar to greater heights of faith. And in between are the four cups of wine that we drink on Pesach. How so? Because the four cups of wine on Pesach is when we turn the drinking of wine itself into specific matters of faith, which is that. Like we return the dots to the... We don't get drunk on Pesach, but basically we say, Rotsaiti, it's a story. Vitsalti, it's a story. Vilakhti, Veveti. These are stories that we tell on the cups of wine. It was Pesach represents Shlita. Like, like we've grabbed onto it and we're able to use it for our advantage. We don't let the wine make us lose our minds and yet we let the wine affect us as a faith community to higher achievement in faith. And so if you remember, it's not so late, but if you remember when we started, we mentioned the Gemara in Ta'anit. And the Gemara in Ta'anit says, Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha. And Rashi says, Why Marbim Besimcha? Yemei Nisim Hayul Yisrael. Purim the Pesach. And we asked, What does Pesach have to do with Adar? So the answer that I propose is this. Pesach may have nothing to do with Adar at all. Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim happened in Nisan. But the fact that the Chachamim were metakin, you have to be able to always distinguish between the mitzvot that are in Torah and the mitzvot which are kind of add-ons. So the Arba Kosot, the four cups of wine that we drink on Pesach, are Bidrabanan. Right, we divide up the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, which is an intellectual activity, by cups of wine, which are remove, remove kushyot, and remove problems, and help us soar in Emunah, but not, the cups of wine do not deprive us, don't deprive us of our dat, of our understanding, quite the contrary. We have to integrate the wine and the dot. So that the movement from Purim to Pesach causes us, causes us great simcha because it reflects upon our ability to have faith and to be part of a faith community. And it doesn't only tell us that we were saved, but it also tells us somehow that in some way we deserve to be safe. I wish you all a good Shabbos, a happy Purim, wherever you'll be. If you're not near Shalai, Purim starts tomorrow night. I mean, Motzei Shabbat, tomorrow night. All the best. I assume everybody's out in Mara already, somehow. No? Is there a minion for Mara?